Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Actor James Caan is tougher than tough. It was Coppola who first saw a spark of danger in this Jewish kid from rough-and-tumble Sunnyside, Queens. Khan's characters, especially the early ones, are volatile, with liberal dashes of mischief and humor. In The Godfather, he was Sonny Corleone, a reckless, cold-blooded killer. There are lots of killers and lots of great actors in The Godfather. Only Khan pulled it off with that grin and joie de vivre. The streets of Queens are still his spiritual home, but today Khan lives in Beverly Hills, where he invited me for this conversation. His assistant, Mikey, is never far away. Come sit with us, by the way. The guy's from Cleveland, and he's a Polak. What the fuck do you want him to sit with us for? There's no denying that Khan plays a certain type. He was a hard-bitten gambler in El Dorado and another hard-bitten gambler in The Gambler. He broke into safes in Thief and into houses in Flesh and Bone. He loved his macho roles, but they frustrated him too. I didn't get a fucking script that didn't have 12 people dead by page 20, I mean, for three years. And then someone said, oh, wait a minute, you can sing and dance? Yeah, well, did you know that? Nobody ever asked me. You know, I'd like to do that. So my ambition is not to be a tough guy. To you and me, where we grew up, you see, if you got a bottle, of water. The very top level of that bottle is anger. That's the first one we draw on where we come from. Right. Does that make any yes. sense when, to you? When I, when I did Streetcar on Broadway back in 1992, people said to me, uh, they said to me, boy, that must be great to get all that anger out of your system every night. And I said, you know what I realized about four or five weeks in? I'm not that angry. <laughs> I said, I would go out on stage some nights and I wanted to go, Blanche, why don't you and I sit down and have a cup of coffee? We make nice with each other and blah, blah. You've had a little different career than I have, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not your, too your much. Your a little different not from too much. Let's just say that. <laughs> but maybe the best way is to, do, is to do this. You're savvy. You crack people up. You grew up in New York, blah, 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 blah. How many brothers and sisters did you have? One of each. I have my, None of them in the business? Oh, no, no, no. You know, my neighborhood was like, I don't know, wasn't very conducive to the arts. What, what did they do? My brother still doesn't know. <laughs> right. And your sister? She passed away. Uh, she was married and had kids, had a family? Yeah, yeah. She was the greatest. Uh, yeah. She was like my best friend. Tell you the truth, she's the only person in the world that was genuinely afraid of. <laughs> I mean, really afraid of her. So she was the best. What did your dad do? A butcher. He was a butcher. Yeah. Most of my family were, I mean, his side were, um, he was from Germany. And uh, he came over. He was the middle son, tough guy, like your dad. And uh, had hands like shoeboxes. He came over and then he brought the rest of the family. He had two brothers and a sister. He brought them over. But he was, uh, he became like a middleman. You know, he'd go down to the meat market where some of my relatives were. My, my, my godfather was down there, had one of them freezers, you know, down on 14th Street. And, um, and he'd go and he'd, he had like 10, 15 customers, you know, some of the restaurants you've eaten in. 
He sold direct to them. Yeah, yeah. We drove around, and um, yeah, I went to Michigan State when I was sixteen. Not because I was smart. Don't even go there. It, they wanted me out of that school so bad. So I took one summer course, and they got rid of me because I became president of the student body. I was fourteen years old, but I was big already. I'm three inches shorter than I was then. So I, I went to Michigan State to play they ball. Sent me home. Yeah. yeah. My mother kept saying, why don't you swim? Can't you swim? I come home taped up to my butt, you know, just like, and, um, and then I got homesick because my girlfriend and everything was back home, you know. So I transferred to Hofstra. And then, uh, it was that, I had that one year wait, you know, Howdy Myers was the coach there then. And then, uh, where'd your dad coach? Massive people yeah, high school. Yeah, yeah. I just, I didn't know what I wanted. I changed my major every three minutes. And, and then uh, it was an ROTC school, Hofstra. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, you had to get the uniform on and everything. You know, it was a big second lieutenant. And then um, I think two weeks from graduation, I was on my way to class in my uniform. Everything was spiffy, but I didn't have my name tag on. I had lost it, whatever. They said, soldier, yes, sir. <laughs> Where's your name tag? I said, you, you know, you got to be kidding me, right? Now, one thing that now I'm in a fist fight with the two of them. We're on the floor outside the commandant's office. It's going well. It's going well. <laughs> going really well. Yeah. So that was the end of my ROTC career right there. And then I, I started to go to work with my pop, you know, uh, down the market. He got me a job with my godfather who ran this big freezer and he's, trailers used to come in from Texas. And my job <laughs> was lifting these hindquarters of beef off a hook that did not roll, and walking to the back of the 16-wheeler, putting them on a hook that did roll, and rolling them into the freezer. It was nice getting into the freezer, I swear to God, because it was the warmest place in the, in, the, in the joint. You know, it was like right off the river down there, and it was colder than a well digger's yeah. ass. I mean, it yeah, was hard cold. work. Yeah, and that started about 4.35 in the morning. And I kept thinking I'm working out for something, but I had nothing yeah. to work out for, actually. Yeah. The so Cowboys are going to call me any day now. Cool. Anyway, I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. It just came over me, like, this is not it. So my dad was a tough German guy, you know, but something about him was very different. Like, I, don't, I, I can't explain it. He'd come up with things that were really sharp that a butcher's not supposed to come up with. You know, his best friend was named Johannes Schieff, who was a big artist, and, and, and you know, it, it doesn't make sense. When I started doing this for a living, my dad was very receptive because he didn't do what he wanted to do with his life. Like, my dad went to law school for one year at Syracuse, and then he dropped out because my mother's father was paying for it, and he had too much pride. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want the father-in-law to pay for him to go to finish school. The minute he could get a job teaching down on Long Island, he quit. He didn't go to law school, and he always regretted it. I didn't know who I was going to ask. I went to the neighborhood playhouse, right? I didn't know what, where to go. I didn't know what to do. So I see this neighborhood playhouse. I always enjoyed making people laugh, you know? I mean, yeah. I said, uh, how am I going to tell my father I'm going to the I want to go to the neighborhood playhouse? Now I go to the neighborhood playhouse... It's 10 days before school starts at the neighborhood playhouse. So I go in and I go, uh, I want to go to school here. And they go, 
for next year. No, for, for this year I want to go. No, no, you have to have three interviews over the course of the year. You have to have one in September, one in December, and one in like a June. Because they only took 30 guys and 30 girls. So I said, can I send this on Mr. Pressman's office there for, do what you want. <laughs> so I did. And I went in and I sat, sure enough, I wasn't there 20 minutes, somebody was late or somebody was, and I walked in. And I talked to him, he must have thought I was a complete wacko. And he took me right then and there. Now I had the problem of telling my pop, who cost 800 bucks, by the way, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So, so now we, I go to work with him. I'm going to work with him. So I'm in a truck acting all real tough and everything. <laughs> oh, he was brutal. And, and we were coming up 8th Avenue, I think. We had to stop at Capiccio's, right? The, 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 the dance place, you know? So I said, hey, Pop, what? do me a favor, pull over here. Uh, You're a ballet dancer now. Yes, wait a minute. I gotta get something for school. What do you, what do you mean? I got, got, what do you mean what I mean? It's English, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a wise guy with him, he'd kill me. I said, I gotta go here, I gotta get something for school. It's gonna take long? No, no, I'll just go up and pick it up. I'll be right down. I go upstairs, sure enough, I have no idea. You had to get a, a dance, dance belt. A dance belt, leotards, you know, the whole, the, the leotards, the top, the sure. thing, the thing, and the ballet slippers. Yeah. Yeah. So they hand it to me in this plastic, dad. in this plastic bag with a button on it. You know, I had a little button on the plastic bag. I said, excuse me, what, uh, you got a brown bag? You got a brown paper bag? No, that's the way they come. I understand that, but... So they looked all around, they got me a brown paper bag, I put it in the car. And I jump in a truck, I say, okay, let's go, Pop. What's in a bag? Dad, it's something for school. I can just see your father going, Jimmy, if you're running numbers right now, you can be honest with me, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, that a is that a bag of money, Jimmy? What are you doing? It was worse. I'm going to ask you again now. What's in a bag? I show him the bag. He never said another word. Alec, he sat there and whistled all the way home. Just whistled. Yeah, yeah. He just whistled. He went for it, you know. You were there for how long, Neighborhood Playhouse? One year. Right. And what happened? The speech teacher asked me to get a late slip once. I go, excuse me? A what? A late slip. I'm paying $800 to go to the school. And she didn't like my attitude. And you left. Now they left. They lay claim on me. I was the only guy that kind of kind of made it out of that class. <laughs> what was the first job you got? I got an off-Broadway show called La Ronde, Arthur Schnitzler's La Ronde. And I uh, did it for about seven, eight months. $45 a week, thirty-eight fifty take-home, brother. Were you living at home? Or you got your own No, place? I was living in the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Of course, right, I was right, right, living right. at home. I mean, I was 18 and 19, and I worked two jobs. I worked at Continental Can Company, and then I worked at, at uh, Rockaway as a rife guard, you know. But then I met this beautiful girl named DJ, who was the lead dancer on the Mitch Miller show. You're even too I know for that. Miller. She lived out in, in Jersey. So I used to wait, get my dad's truck, Clean up the blood in the back, you know, it was a big station wagon. And you remember them green dingle dangles you put all over the car so they smell good? Yeah. The I had them all over the car and I had a blanket yeah. in the back and I'd go over there. 
And one day, me and a couple of my uh, my Italian brothers, they, they took me in a 1940 Buick with running boards and everything to North Carolina with her. And I borrowed $10 from my mother. They take me, we drive to North Carolina, Halifax, North Carolina, which is the closest place you go to without needing like a blood test. So I go to Halifax. It's six in the morning when we get there. We drove around looking for a justice of peace. Okay, wait a minute, he put on his bow tie. <laughs> went into the, into the living room. He says, so what kind of a, a, what kind of a ceremony would you like? I said, fast would be good. We got married. My buddies, we got a watermelon. <laughs> Did you come from a generation that marrying a woman was always the right thing to do before you lived with her? Did you, was it like a value no, you had? No, I just didn't no. want everybody to have it. Right, yeah. You're like me. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, Don't touch it. I mean, yeah. fights like, I mean, I, I was a Ranger fan back then. So I go there. And I, I mean, I was totally, I belonged in a home. Because if I catch some guy, I could just... The game's over there. What are you doing, asshole? What are you What are you doing? What I'm are you? So glad you, I didn't know you then. Oh, it was terrible. I was yeah, terrible. It must really been very bad. painful. But it's my girl, you know. Yeah. So when we got married, I took her home because nobody knew. I was 21, right? So my dad would lay on the couch like this with a with his wife beater on, watching wrestling or whatever. I'd come in, and my father never looked up. Where you been? Um, uh, we went out, we had, you know, a few drinks and whatever. Would you get married? On my right hand to God. With that, I hear this laughter like you never heard in your life from my mother inside, cracking up a laugh she heard, yes. He borrowed $10 to get married. It's the funniest thing I've ever heard. How do you, how do you think your father knew? He, I, I don't know. The guy was weird. He told me, my, my, the first thing he told me, I remember this poem he told me when I was 12. A good friend is hard to find. You always get the other kind. But when you find one staunch and true, make sure you fuck him before he fucks you. That's the first poem I heard. <laughs> I, uh, we but, but what I want to say is when you, when you did La Ronde, and you're doing the play for eight months in New York. Did you like the theater? Did you like live theater? Oh. When do you see yourself, I want to get into TV and the movies. I want to get into that. When do you make At the time, mind? the only thing that was on television in New York was the Naked City had just opened. You know, that started. That was Naked City. Then, then uh, uh, Suskind had um, Playhouse 13. And I did that with Redford, with Ozzy. Ruby D and Ozzy Davis was a live three camera show. Did you have an agent at the time? Yeah, Joan Scott. That's how you got in the door. You had an agent. Huh? Somebody repped you. you yeah. Had an agent. Yeah. And then I got the, the Route 66 came into Philadelphia. I got that. So, but the point I think I'm making is that I waited for three, four years before I got out on audition. Now, this may be or maybe not, but it, it may not be. But I got the first four jobs I auditioned for. And I think it's because I waited. You know, like, you know, acting, as you know, or all actors should know, 
There's so much luck involved. You, you can't bullshit. You don't want to tell people the truth. Yeah. I see young people and I'm like, is that you're studying, you're at a great program, that's great. But I, but I don't want to break their heart and say, it is a lot of luck. A lot of luck. So I see some people, I mean, today, I, you know, I teach now, I'm teaching now, which is nice. I like it, enjoy it. But you see talented people, you, you can't, you, you know, you got to be in the right place at the right time. What's so, the first movie you made? Paramount called me and I did a picture called Lady in a Cage. I know, yeah, of course. And Olivia de Havilland, who was like a nun. I don't know. I mean, she was a beautiful, gorgeous nun. Elegant woman. Elegant. Unbelievable. For French. people who don't know, she's trapped in the elevator in her house. Right. And you're the And I'm playing this thing, guy. which I got nauseous when I saw the performance. I was got, got nauseous. Who directed? Walter Grauman. Were you nervous to be making your first? I remember no, I was nervous no, when I made my he first didn't, films. He didn't. She got me nervous, not because she was a huge star, but she was such a lady. And I had to go, you fucking dance and you effing that and you did that. How do you right. look in her face? Yeah. I, that was like, you talk about character work, I couldn't do it. You know, it was hard. It was really hard. I've been there. We, I play somebody who's tough. And uh, who's that? Huh? That's my brother. Yeah. <laughs> I play somebody in a movie, year, you know, years ago I do a movie, and if I had to be really mean or abusive to somebody that I admired, I do the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and I work oh. with Lemon, and I'm there with Jack Lemon, and I'm thinking, I love this guy. And I have, to, I have to just completely wipe my shoes right on his face and be yeah, so yeah. mean to him. I hated that. You know? Yeah. The guys were easy, but 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 she was already like a thing. Like I remember going and watching her in a movie. You know, like she was such a lady. Did you, you know? move out here then? No. What happened was I did everything there was to do in New York. So I did. It was called Black. It was written by Reginald Rose, this Playhouse Thirteen or whatever they called mm -hmm. it. Uh, and uh, Lamont Johnson directed it, but every star was in it. I mean, I mean, it was just tons of people sure. in it. You know, Pat Ingle and this and that, and uh, Ruby D, Ozzy Davis, uh, Redford, and this. Everybody. And, yeah. So we did that live. And then after that, I started getting calls from out here. Studios. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to come yeah. out to do Dr. Kildare or whatever the hell it was. So, you know, I go out here and I thought, there's a cow town. What the hell? What are you, what are you driving a half hour for a paper? Where, where are you sending me? I try to get the red eye home, you know, back into the subway. You know, I just had to get back there. And I did that for a while. And, and uh, when we got, oh, by the way, and the end of the marriage story, this can go on. Can we do this for three hours? Well, maybe. We may have to come back and do part maybe. two, but we'll, no, we'll do as much as we can. Howie, you got to start we'll laughing again. I remember when you used to laugh and shit. I'm producing a very serious interview program here. This so is very, you're a very yeah. serious yeah, I'm very serious guy. about your career. I can tell you. <laughs> I'm more serious about your career than you are. But uh, what difference does it make? Okay, about the end uh, of this very quickly. She didn't want to come out here? No, no. What happened was, first of all, her parents, they were religious Catholics, okay? And I wasn't religious anything. You know, my buddies were Catholic. I went to church. I was, you know, but they, she went home and they wouldn't let me see her, right? They wouldn't let me see her. I was married to her. They said, listen, we want you to get married in the church. I go, 
I can't do that. Why? I said, because I know I have to sign a paper saying I raised my kids Catholic. I can't do that. I mean, I don't care, but I had family that died in concentration camps just for being a Jew. So I just can't do that. I'm not a Catholic. Yeah, I'm not a Catholic. I wouldn't mind being a Catholic. It makes no difference to me, but it makes a difference to my family and everybody else, I guess, you know. So, no, no, you won't have to because we know him. We'll meet you in the rectory and we'll talk. You won't have to. So, of course, I said, okay. And, of course, everything I said was true. So I went home and they kept it. And finally, one night, she was doing the Mitch Miller show and a girlfriend called me. This is so romantic. I just go, do you want your wife? I'm 21 years old. Do you want your wife? She's up here in the Bronx. She's at my house. I drove, took the meat wagon, the bloody wagon. <laughs> she had this, like, lavender thing on, you know, the thing, and she was lying in this four-poster bed. And why did it but end? But that got, man. Did work become more important? I came out, you know, I came out. I said, honey, I'm going to go out, but you know, I can't keep flying back and forth. I'll go out. And I literally got four jobs in five weeks out here, you know, leads on like the craft suspension. Yeah. And then I called for her and she came out. And then she did the Judy Garland show. She was a wonderful dancer. And then, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I just don't know. I was too young. Yeah, but it was probably work. too young to, 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 to make her work. happy. And then one no, you out here. No, no, no. I never really mixed that yeah. up. You know, I really never did. My life is my family. That comes first. You always felt that way. Always. You didn't want the business to become the most important thing no, in your life because I've seen too much destruction already at a young age. When did work change? And the next thing you know, you're above the title and you're the star of the film. Yeah, for that, that long really ride. happened quick. You know, what movie. Okay, my first one was that. Then Lady I did two pictures for Howard Hawks. Right. right. One was with John Wayne and Mitchum <laughs> between those two apes. You know. In what movie? El Dorado. El Dorado. Mitchum, who I loved beyond oh. you, you would have went nuts oh. for him. What was it like with Wayne? How did Wayne treat you? Was now, he kind to you? This was great. Mitchum, he came like two, three weeks later. So the first week and a half was just me and Wayne. It's like, well, we meet, and then we go on this ride, and he buys me that stupid gun, and I would, you know, this hat, he calls me Mississippi. Now, mind you, you know, I had endless hours talking with Strasburg, and John was a friend of mine, his son. We played ball together in the park, and this and that. So I'm, I'm trying to draw on this and trying to be professional, and... And then I, I listened, now look a kid, why'd you have to go and do that? This is the dialogue of the movie. Why'd you go and do that? Look, why'd you have to go and do that? Where do these breaths come from? But I'm looking at him like, you know, the reality of it, whatever bullshit. I just smiled, I just kept smiling. Yeah. You meet these people, and, you know, that has this effect on you. As I left this series I did called Knott's Landing that was a very popular oh, yeah. show on, on TV, my character was killed off the show. They brought on Ava Gardner to play Bill Devane's mother. And I was leaving, and I think I was done shooting, and they said, why don't you come back next week, come on the lot, and, you know, you still have your pass and everything. Come and meet Ava Gardner. And she's sitting there in a director's chair smoking a cigarette, and she looks like a million bucks. She's older, but she's like, she said, 
Oh, it's so nice to meet you, baby. She calls it baby. Baby. She said, oh, it's so nice to meet you, baby. What a pleasure. But then when you're on a set and you're shooting and you're making a movie, like the first big movie I did was Hunt for Red October, and Sean Connery comes walking on, I'll never forget. <laughs> they did his makeup tests and his camera tests and all the old school and the uniform and the hair. And we're going to shoot the first day, and he walks on. And so help me God, I thought to myself, I'm fucked. I said, no one's ever going to see me in this movie. They're going to cut me out of the movie. I said, look at this guy. He looks like $10 million stacked up. So I was so perfect looking. And they would say, cut. And he'd turn to me and he'd say, are you going to the rushes, boy, during lunch? And I'd say, the what? He said, the rushes, the dailies of the, of the footage. And I said, no, I wasn't going to go to the rushes. And nobody invited me. He said, how do you ever expect to learn anything if you don't go to the rushes? <laughs> and he would like shame me. And I'd go to the dailies, we'd watch the dailies. And I'll never forget thinking to myself, this guy, movie stardom is something you can't put your finger on it. He'd sit there, he always knew where the camera was. He'd say the line and turn into the shot. And I remember men. We sail into history. And he turned into the camera. And he was, and I th- remember thinking to myself, I wonder if I could ever learn all the things this guy knows about the camera and how to perform in front of a camera. It was beautiful. That's funny. You know, you bring that up because I remember very clearly when we did our little things together a couple of times. You didn't impress me like that. I mean, that's not impressive to me one way. I mean, that's me. But I I just want to finish the the, the point of this stupid story. Uh, Watch the mic. Talking to the mic. Yeah, yeah. So now Mitchum comes like a couple weeks later. I don't mean him, but he went and saw all the dailies. And I had that stupid hat on, you know, that's, that tap hat. And the first thing he said to me, hey, Jiminy Cricket. He called me Jiminy Cricket. Well, He's the greatest. Goes, he says, hey, Jiminy, what? He says, you're doing a lot of smiling in there, Jiminy Cricket. He said, I said, what do you want me to do? You ever hear this guy talk, you know? And Wayne, if you were affected by him, he would never get off would never get off. You know, he, he was like a kid, man. He just enjoyed it. We come around this corner. The bad guys are all the way down the end of this Western Street. They're in a bar, the bad guys, okay? Now Hawks got the whole street set up, stagecoach, and people are walking up and down at night. It's a big setup. Wayne turns to me, he says, Nah, look at kid. When you say that there, line, I want you to turn around and Give me that look you give me. Smiling. <laughs> he says, you know, that look that you give me. He guess he called me smiling all the time or whatever it was. Just turn around and give me that look you give me. We come running around the corner. He says, his eyes. I say my line, God. They got to wipe the horses down and everything, you know, the sweat. Every, takes another half hour to set up. Yeah. We get ready. Wayne turns to me and says, nah, look, kid. When you say that, Caroline, Give me that look you give me. Okay, Duke. Action street starts moving. We come running around the corner. He says, his eyes. I say my line, God. He let me have it. Anyway, the third time now, and I'm steaming. Sunnyside's coming out at me, so he had the balls to go, now look at kid again. And I turned around. And I read up, and Mitchum grabbed me from behind. He went, whoa, easy, big fella. <laughs> <laughs> now, take it easy, big Yeah. 
And from that moment on, we became the best friend, Mitchum. I mean, uh, uh, Wayne. Wayne. You stood up for yourself. Yeah, he loved that. And then they invited me to drink with them. I'm like 23, and they have yeah. a bottle of scotch in front of them. And then he would fill my uh, dressing rooms with garbage when I wasn't there. And he had the guy lock it up, and I'd come and open my dressing room. Why is it locked? Yeah. Boom, the fucking garbage would come out. You know, it's so like you were in a frat. He was a 12-year-old kid. Did Hawks direct him, or nobody directed him? Yeah, I mean. Did he stand up to him and tell him what he wanted? It never got to that. It no. was never like, it was never that, right. you know. They knew each other. But Wayne other. was Wayne. He did what he wanted to do. Yeah. See, Mitchum was the opposite way. Mitchum didn't, never wanted you to see him working. He was like embarrassed, but he was so good. Ooh. So good. I guess the next obvious question, when does Francis call you? How does that Francis happen? Francis called me. Now, I knew Francis. He's like a year older than me, okay? So when he was 23... He had written Patton already, mm -hmm. and he stayed with me. His grandmother lived around the corner from where I lived, you know, Sunnyside, you know, on, on Skillman Avenue. I, I, I didn't know him, and I didn't know her. He also went to Hofstra, where I, I didn't know him either. Yeah. I remember him calling me to do The Rain People, which is really kind of interesting. It was the first time any picture, you know, was done like that with a crew of 18. We traveled all across the country. I think it was like a second picture thing. You know, he wanted me to do Apocalypse. I, 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 I didn't do it. Cause you didn't she, want to go to the Philippines for 18 months? That's exactly what he said. But it was max 16 weeks. Please stop. He handed me the script. Play any part you want, any American part you want. So I go up to Zoetrope and I said, I want to play Colonel Carnage. He just mowed the beach top. Yeah. He went surfing. It was yeah. a great role. He says, oh, I gave that to Gene Hackman. What? what? What did you ask me to pick any part for? You know, why don't you tell me what part you want me to play? Yeah, I, I, I didn't do it because Sheila, Scott's mom, was pregnant. And I wasn't going down to the Philippines, yeah. you know. No, no, you don't understand. You will live in Manila. And you got like eight servants. And every morning we'll fly to the location. We'll, we'll helicopter to, to, to the location. I go... Friend, that's, that's like two things I don't like. It's like height and tsetse flies. I don't like it. Yeah. Okay. You're striking out here, Francis. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't do that with him. But um, the rain people, uh, I did. And I did, you know, a few of them. And Bobby. And who asked you to do The Godfather? Him or someone else called you? Francis. Like Francis called you? Yeah. And said he wanted you to play this part in this movie? Yeah. Because the stories I always hear were... You and Marlon and Duval and Al and everybody, you had a lot of laughs on the set. You weren't sitting there taking this like there was, like there was some super serious. I mean, no, you were acting, that but plays a big part in the success of the movie, in any movie. I believe that's true. Is what? You can tell when people like one another. I don't care what the genre is. I don't care what the theme is. You can tell when people are enjoying working with each other. And we all did. And I think it emanates immediately off the screen. Now, when he... And to, this is, so, you don't have to share this. You don't have to say this. I don't share anything. No, but I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I mean, I don't like to talk about acting that much myself, but like with you, everybody is very, uh, uh, Duval is very quiet and Al is quiet and Marlon is quiet and Gazelle is quiet. And your character in terms of the symphonics of it, in terms of the music, you're the real volatile one. You're the more operatic one. You're the more, you're, you're the most, you're, you're the most tough 
you're the most physically tough. Brando's an old man in the film, but the character is. Yeah, and you, you know, are, you, 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 you put, you put gonna, the lead in the, in the, in the chamber. Well, the first scene we shot was in the Jenko Olive Oil Company, okay? And it's, You'll have to excuse my son. Yeah, no, two great things happened. I fucking didn't know who I was. That was the first day. I'm trying to still figure it out. And I don't go through all that bullshit every day. You know, you got to push a button and then the button works. You got to find the button. That's the hard thing. Mm. I just felt really awkward there. I just, I don't know. And the one interesting thing, this is an aside. I watched Brando's, he's great. And, and everybody tried to conquer Brando. He just wanted to be talked to. That was the simplest thing of all. You just talked to me. He's never a problem. Never had a problem with Francis. And this came up in that scene where he says, Salonso, they've uh, told me you're a man to respect. And he goes, Francis, I can't say that. You know, he's, he's a dope dealer. He's just, you know, whatever his reasons were. It's not right. I've agreed to meet with you because they told me you're a man of respect, you know. So Francis, yeah, I see what you mean. He says, but the problem, Marlon, is I got, I use it in another scene, that very line in the back of the car with Bobby's in the car with somebody. He uses that line. So you got to say it. So I'm sitting there like a young student watching, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, now most guys would find a place to bury it in a prop or something. Just get rid of the fucking Brando goes... It was so great. I said that I would see you because I heard that you were a serious man to be treated with respect. That one minute, he made it so real for himself. Like, he said it. He didn't bury it. Mm. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It was unbelievable. The guy was great. But so. how deep into the shooting? Because the Sonny character, it's, I'll tell you, I'm, it's I'm on right. the page because you're banging the woman against the Here's wall he, at the wedding. No, look. Duvall, as far as I'm concerned, everything is behavior. No disrespect to any writer ever. You say their words, but it's all about behavior. Actor, movie star, James Kahn. Another brilliant performer associated with a type, albeit a different one, is Carol Burnett. Through talent and force of will, she overcame everything you'd expect from 1960s TV execs. And he called me back the next day. He said, Carol, you know, it's not for gals. Comedy variety is a man's game. They wanted me to do a sitcom. And I said, I don't want to be the same person week after week. I want to, I want to do this. My full interview with Carol Burnett is in our archive at heresthething.org. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. When we left James Kahn, Coppola had given him the role of a lifetime in The Godfather, Sonny Corleone, Brando's murderous oldest son. Kahn struggled to land the character, but found it after the first day on set. Vicious Sonny would be based on screwball insult comic Don Rickles. I swear to God, Alec, I was shaving and I was looking in the mirror. And I, I don't know why I thought of Rickles. I just thought of it. He used to make me laugh, you know. I knew Rickles because when I was a young guy, I hung around with all those older comedians. 
Rickles, that was like his proudest moment ever because I, I told him. I came in the next day. I could have done Hamlet. I could have done anything as Sonny, no matter what, because I had that behavior. I was, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? Make me a leper? Yeah. And I busted everybody's balls from morning till night. Had everybody laughing. Brando couldn't say hello to me without laughing. Right. Francis, you're going to wear the same fucking suit like for nine months? You fucking animal, you here. You need a few dollars. You know? But the point is, they couldn't take it from me. But what I got from what you did is this idea of, to me, the Sonny character is like, we kill people for a living. <laughs> we do a lot of bad things for a living. We had a lot of blood on our hands. We do bad things to some people to get money. And what I would get from the Sonny in the movie was, I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah, We're going to all these lengths to get this money. And you know what I'm going to I don't know about the rest of yous, but I'm going to have a fucking good time. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to have a dinner. I'm going to go bang this broad out here. I got my see, wife. I got my good mom. You're talking to Mike Rickles now, see? <laughs> You, you, and, 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 and that was it. And I and Francis let me go. I mean, all I, that bother being and about it never was there. It was all, it all came out of, and then weird stuff happened. I remember when I grew up, like the, all my, my best friends were Italian, so they maybe had two suits, but they had 12 pair of shoes. So I said, hey, um, to the wardrobe, can I have, can you give me a pair of them kickers, you know, the black and white? It's not in the script. So what? No, we don't have it in the budget. The budget, it was like nothing. I went to the Bronx for $10. I bought the black and white shoes. You remember the black and white shoes? Because that was, you Too know, tough. to me. Then I took a broom handle off, you know, the industrial brooms. You remember the big industrial brooms. Mm -hmm. I saw the back of it and put it in my car. Guy said, what are you putting it in your car for? I, I don't know. It's an attitude adjustment. That's what the, my, yeah. the, these guys carry around in their car. How do you know? I know. So, so all of that stuff. And then when I broke the guy's camera, you know, when I'm, when I'm coming, when I'm coming and I'm taking the license plates outside. Richard Conti. Huh? When Richard, right we, before we, Richard Conti oh, pulls the film out. Oh my no, God. No, not Richard Conti, but, but, but uh, Clemenza. No, you broke the camera in the, in the, in, in, in the, the parking. So I'm going, I'm taking that spit on the guy's thing and I walk back, not, not to be filmed. I mean, so we're supposed to walk in and this guy, took a picture of me, right? I took this fucking camera, but it was expensive. Oh it was one of relics, a real one. And I smashed it, right? You improvised. And then Clement, yeah, I mean, always, he just let me go, he never stopped. And, and Clemenza grabbed me and grabbed me, you know, he says, come on, Sonny, Sonny, Sonny. And I remember in my neighborhood, it was okay, like I broke it, but if anybody did something like that, They'd reach in their pocket and put twenty on the floor. Right. I mean, but, everything but, but, felt real. But but you think but think about it I mean, again. There, there there has to be a and this doesn't really amount to anything. But but I'm just saying what I worship about you in films. What I loved about you in films was there had to be a guy that that did those things because Al doesn't do that. Al shoots the guy very reluctantly, and, the, no. and the, he shoots Sterling Hayden. We all take from our lives, don't we? I mean, you've got to take from your life. I mean, you can't make that up. But you watch that I've movie. Seen it. I've seen it. But when you watch that movie, the audience, even though violence is out of favor, even though people doing those things is out of favor, you watch that movie and you realize you've got to have that moment where the guy goes, you touched my sister again. No, this, where was this? I kill you. I remembered it. I didn't think of it. 
You remember when you were a kid. My dad did that. Yeah, yeah. My dad did that. I mean, it didn't my come dad out bit of his nowhere. Hand. It wasn't like he I bit thought, his hand to prevent him from about, punching me yeah, with his hand. Ever thought about anything the night before. I no. just went in, boom, pushed the button, let's play around. And, and, and you know, it, it, it was, it, it, God bless Francis, but... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was really, you know, Francis never saw the fight either till we shot it. Me and, and, and uh, the stuntman did it. Carlo's double. Car yeah. yeah your brother was double. Yeah, no, not him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Be nice. Yeah, we, yeah, Be yeah. nice. I am nice. He's a good kid. Okay, stop. A brief explanation is called for here. Khan has a famous fight with Gianni Russo, the actor who played his brother-in-law, Carlo. In a minute, you'll hear more about their on-screen violence. To Khan, it was just embodying his character fully. Russo, on the other hand, even two years ago was calling Khan nuts. He says the on-screen fights left him with a chipped elbow and two broken ribs. Now, back to the show. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, yeah. Francis never saw anybody fight before? <laughs> he didn't know how to stage Not fight. Not like that. <laughs> right, right. And then the other thing was, I come out of the car, and Carlos starts running, you know, up the street. I said, come here, come here, come here, whatever I said, come here, come here, come here, about 90 times. So I reached in, and I took out my attitude adjuster. Didn't plan it, Alec. I swear my mother didn't plan it. I took out this, and he was running, and I fired it at him. Francis, it's great, great, but Jimmy, you look like you want to. You missed him by a mile. Show it at him. I hit him but right but on the head. I hit him in the coconut on the way up. The sun double. No, the, no, no, no Carlo. You went Carlo. Oh, sure. Okay. I would have missed him if it was a stun double. The, the, no, I'm only kidding. But, 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 but people want to know, I mean, you are one of the stars of one of the greatest films ever made in history. Yeah. And, and, when, and when you first saw the movie, when you first saw it, you sit there and go, wow, this is a pretty good movie. No, I was mad. I wouldn't go to the show. Why? You see, Bobby went nuts. Evans, I was staying in my room. I was so pissed off because I had an eight-page scene with Bobby, and they cut it out. You know me. Yeah. It was selfish. Yeah. I said, what the fuck? You know, they had to come down and beg me to come upstairs to the party. <laughs> I felt such a But the first time you saw the movie... Yeah. Whenever the first time was you saw the movie, what did you think? They shouldn't have cut out that AC. <laughs> <laughs> you miserable prick. Unbelievable. No, 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 no. You know, you, you know I'm going to tell you something. Francis, it ruined his career because he wanted, he wanted a Woody Allen career. That was his whole thing. He wanted to write and do his own thing. But this monster killed his career. You know, he started doing stuff he didn't want to do. But it's no accident that every department head that he chose became the biggest in their field. Walter Murch, I mean, Dean, Gordy Willett, you just name them. It John, elevated everybody. Jack Smith, the right. makeup. He had ingenious stuff, like you put a bullet in the face, you could see a bullet go in your face. I mean, everything, but it was all Francis. And the number one thing that made that picture successful was the fact that Francis was a Mediterranean Italian. He was not a Brooklyn Italian. Everything was okay for the sake of family, everything. 
So when people would ask me, the biggest question I got asked, was that a real horse's head? Wait a minute, 81 people got killed, but you didn't give a shit about any of them. Was that a real horse's head? Oh, yeah. Sure, that was a real horse's head. (laughs) I mean, it, it was, Francis was unbelievable. Francis was unbelievable. And he went to acting school. Now I've started realizing that, you know, I was out of Northridge and looking at their curriculum and the guys were learning to be actors as freshmen, directors as freshmen. And then part of their thing is they take two of their people who are also trying to be, and they do scenes with them. And that's like a midterm or what do I know? What's the sense? They're not working with actors. So how do they know? So in my mind, it's a requirement. If you're a writer, if you're a director or an actor, you must start with one year of acting. So, so you try know to figure exactly. out how actors think. Yeah. So you can direct. You, so you can direct. Right. Pull out of them what you need to pull out of them. You know? And that's the big problem with, like, a lot of our movies today. I mean, you know, I, I used to make fun of a lot of these guys when I go to dinner, you know, lunch or whatever, you know, these heads of the studio. I said, I got a great idea. It's a little out of the box. But how about this? We do pictures that got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Is that cool? What? Am I out of the box or what? Yeah. Now, you always, I mean, in the time we have left, because I got to go pick up my kids, in the time we have left. In, in, in New York? No, the way I got to go, oh, ta- okay. go take them to the park every day. My, I swear to God, I got to go pick, I gotta pick them up at five o'clock. The, um, uh, but for a guy that, you know, uh, you've been married a few times, you're, you know, you like women. Did you ever, and you don't have to, you don't have to answer this question, you have to I give have the details. But did you ever, were you ever working with these leading ladies of yours and think, I'd like to, ma- I'd like to marry this My dame. dad, excuse the expression, never go to the bathroom right. where you eat. Where you dined. Yeah, <laughs> where you dined. Yes. And you wouldn't and do that. And that's very true. And you wouldn't do that. Once, when I was very, very young. You dated an actress. I didn't date her. I went to- You, you got I, close I, with her. I, I said, would you mind? <laughs> she said, certainly not. And, but- um, You made it a habit not to do that. I don't think it became habit. It's just something that That's I respected. Because That's like what I mean, I'm not fair to the director. I'm not fair to the writer. I'm not fair to anybody. If, God forbid, which usually happens, you have a fight with your girlfriend. And you've got to bring in the set. And you've got to make a love scene, do a love scene. Um, your son. Did Wait, you, know, you just changed the subject on me? Yes. Oh, okay. When, you, when Scott Give made me a it, hint. I'm when Scott made down. It, when Scott made it clear to you that he wanted to be an actor... Were you encouraging of him, I'm assuming? I, I never discourage him. You know, yeah. he's the best guy you'd ever want to meet. He's just a gentleman. He's great. And he never knew what I did until I was eight, nine years old. I wouldn't, you know, until the kids on a bus one day said, that's your dad? You know, like, it was like that. Yeah, why? You know, I had no idea. He thought I was a coach. He got it, like, when he was 16. They said they wanted to use him in some film. So I thought it was kind of like, eh, throw away, you know, some. And they said, Jimmy, would you do this one scene with him? Yeah, why not? You know, I never thought the picture would even escape. Then um, he went, to, I got him into Crossroads because they decided they'd try to make a normal school out of it, not like an English boys school because he was like a C student, but he was a great athlete, great athlete. So uh, he got in a, a fight, which he got into, and then they threw him out. And then he went to Beverly Hills. I said, you can only go to Beverly Hills High if you play baseball again. 
So he played baseball in the middle of the year. He said, I, I just signed a contract with Tommy Boy. What? Who's Tommy Boy? And he went on the road with Cypress Hill, House of Pain, and he had the two, two little half juice. <laughs> they called themselves the lower level. It was the greatest thing ever. And he went rapping all around the country. Hey, to the motherfucking K homeboy in your Mercedes. Who are you kidding? Who are you talking to? So, I mean, it was great. So he just, uh, and he's unbelievably bright. He, he's got four plays published already, Alec, published. But as far as acting, the material isn't as good. My yes. son, your son, if he becomes an actor, Scott is never going to have the opportunity as you and I had. Work with the best directors and work with the best screenwriters and the best this and the best that. And, you know, they're not going to have that opportunity. We work with great people, Alec. It was as good as there ever was. James Caan, one of the last of the great old school movie stars. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing as a production of WNYC Studios. You have to understand, I do this show and I meet these people, I get choked up, man, I get choked up. <laughs> 